லிஸ்னிங் டு மெம்பர்ஸ் வந்து தி ஹாரி பாட்டர் பாட்காஸ்ட் ஐ அம் பிரசாந்தினி and i'm ashurya in today's episode we are going to talk about the events leading up to ron learning about the chamber of secrets let's start with the summary when we left off last time ron had just tried to curse malfoy with his broken wand however the curse misfired and he started throwing up slugs instead harry and hermione take him to hagrid's hut where they catch up with hagrid and examine the events of the afternoon when they return to the castle mcgonagall informs them that they are to serve their detentions that evening Ron is to clean the trophy room without magic under Filch's supervision and Harry is to answer Lockhart's mail with Lockhart. Basically they worst nightmares. When Harry is serving his detention he hears a disembodied voice but can't determine the source. A month passes and Quidditch practice continues. One evening as Harry is walking back through the castle corridors he encounters nearly headless Nick. Nick is looking gloomy and Harry asks why only to hear Nick explain that he's just been rejected from the headless hunt on account of his head being unable to come all the way off. The conversation however ends in a flash as they're spied on by Mrs Norris Filch's cat and Nick wants Harry to hurry off so as to not get into trouble Filch however spies Harry and drags him into his office begins to write up a punishment complaint but is interrupted by a large crash When Filch rushes out Harry peers curiously into an open envelope on the desk and finds a mail order course called Quick Spell for Wizards who are not fully magical He returns it before Filch returns but Filch paranoid that he read it lets him go Outside Nick explains that he is the one who told Peeves to cause a distraction and invites Harry to his 500th death day party. Harry is grateful enough to agree to attend the party. On Halloween, Harry, Ron and Hermione head to the dungeons for the death day party. However, they hurry off during Nick's speech and in the passageway Harry hears an eerie murderous voice saying that it is time to kill. He tears off in the direction from which it comes and they arrive in a deserted corridor to see a message scrawled on the wall. and a stiff hanging cat mrs norris filch spies mrs norris hanging from the ceiling and explodes at harry accusing him of killing the cat dumbledore appears at this time and whisks all of them into lockhart's nearby office dumbledore explains that the cat is not dead but petrified and that second year students could not have possibly mastered the magic necessary for that degree of a spell not wanting to explain about the eerie disembodied voice harry says that they were just tired and want to go to bed thankfully they get away without any detentions In the history of magic class with Professor Bins, Hermione persuades him to explain the history behind the message, and that's how Ron finds out about the Chamber of Secrets. When we were discussing Book One, one of the things that we really wanted to explore was the backstory of Filch. Why is he so mean to children? Why is he looming around the corridors with no life? I think we get a sufficient enough explanation here in Book Two. we get to know that he is a squib and squibs are non magic people who are born from magical parents it's like the exact opposite of muggleborns finding out filch's story has actually made me sympathize with him a lot i think sympathy is not the right word for me i don't feel sorry for filch because it it is his choice being there if we think that he is bitter only because he is not able to do magic but a lot of the children around him can do it he could have lived as a muggle he could have lived in a less magical place i mean any household is going to be less magical compared to hogwarts yeah but i can sort of see why he would want to be somewhere that has so much magic he grew up in a magical family i assume with magic 
all around him and enjoying like the fringe benefits of magic even if he wasn't actually able to like do the magic himself can you imagine after that going and living like a complete muggle and pretending as though all of that just doesn't exist i sort of get why he'd want to live in the castle and still be around it even if he's not able to do it himself but i do feel bad that he is a caretaker which doesn't necessarily always mean equal to janitor hmm. but he still has to do a lot of things that wizards can very easily get done by hand in this particular set of chapters harry is dripping mud on the floor and phil says it's only a bit of mud to you boy but to me it's an extra hour scrubbing and i get ridiculously sympathized with him there because to all of us muggles it is an extra hour but to a wizard who, who could use a, like a vanishing charm or like some kind of cleaning charm it's it's nothing at all I kind of wish that they had made him a caretaker but given him someone under him who could like do all the magical parts thus still allowing him to save face but you know get work done more easily I feel like there's a back story there there must be a back story between Filch and Dumbledore I think because the only other person who's not allowed to do magic but who does a lot of manual work is Hagrid we know that Hagrid is there in that position only because of Dumbledore so any amount of manual effort that he has to put in in his current work seems to be okay compared to the alternative maybe filch is in that exact same position or maybe filch was the one who did not want anyone who can do magic under him he is clearly not very open about being a squib right that will just open himself up to a lot of ridicule so i think he is still masquerading as a wizard but someone who chooses to do stuff manually but it's interesting that you bring up the point that he's chooses to hide the fact that he's a squib right because it tells us a lot about how wizarding society itself is structured that filch has to hide the fact that he's a squib it could also be that he's hiding the fact that he's a squib because he thinks that if the students in the school knew that he cannot perform magic and defend himself against magical attacks they would really easily bully him and push him around yeah bullying is a very real possibility even as a squib who's like in the lower rung of the magical order he is still a caretaker so as a caretaker or someone who's closer to a teacher than a student he automatically has had more power than students maybe that's so in hogwarts but i think outside hogwarts the situation would be something else different based on just what ron says when he finds out that filch is a squib right he actually sniggers and this is ron who was so who wanted to make hermione feel better after Malfoy insults her that he very casually insults Neville also in the process right look at Neville Longbottom he's pure blood and he can hardly stand a cauldron the right way up basically for Ron it doesn't matter where you come from it matters whether you can do magic yeah but for people like Mr Malfoy i think it both matters it matters where you come from and it matters if you can do magic that's true I think in this chapter we're finally digging deeper and deeper into the class system that J.K. Rowling has been setting up right from the beginning of this book. What with Dobby talking about his position as a elf and uh, the conversation between Mr. Malfoy and Mr. Weasley, which is also very indicative of what kind of class system that the magical community has. We're finally getting to understand the way it works. There are like liberal. magical people who are okay with anybody as long as they can do magic and there are conservative or like the really old fashioned magical people who are really focused on where they are coming from so there's pure bloods and half bloods and muggle borns and squibs not to mention the very confusing blood traitor insult which 
is what I think conservative people call the liberals <laughs> because they are traded to their values. Another backstory we need to hear about in these chapters is uh, nearly headless nicks which is honestly not as fascinating as I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah, that's a character I did not want to hear a backstory about but we got a whole chapter about it. That <laughs> <laughs> day party was like such a snooze fest. Ron predicted it very accurately when he says Sounds dead depressing to me. I thought it was interesting only because of the way that J.K. Rowling has depicted ghosts in the Harry Potter universe. I think this might be one of the few instances in which there's a lot of interaction with ghosts, and we get to see, you know, what the afterlife could be if you chose to linger on the earth, right? Clearly, ghosts get to have the full human experience, except that they can't touch things, which means they get all the misery of a human existence, but none of the ability to actually make a change and do something better. And clearly, it brings out the worst in them because all of the ghosts that we get to meet, especially in these chapters, are all driven by what some people would call worst of human impulses. Mm-hmm. Like Morning Myrtle is literally like she throws tantrums yeah, and she moans all the time, and Peeves is. mischievous i know i know he's a poltergeist but still he's rude he's mischievous he does whatever he likes clearly there's nothing to keep him in line and even sir nick he's he's a ghost in the afterlife this is his 500th birthday party but he's still upset about something that happened to him that no one can actually do anything about he can only like continue on being upset and i also can see the point of the headless hunt turning down sir nick's application because how can you do headless juggling when your head doesn't come off yeah i think the whole setup here with the headless hunt at the birthday party it's something that was completely unnecessary we know that it doesn't go anywhere this is not going to serve any plot purpose and one chapter was really not enough to explain away everything about ghosts in harry potter universe for example why do ghosts have four out of five senses but not the ability to touch things Speaking of the ability to touch things, if ghosts can't touch things, how are they sending each other mail? Yeah. Like, is it like a ghost owl? Yeah, I think so because there are ghost horses. Ghost owls will not be a stretch, really. And there are people apparently helping ghosts out by setting up the whole party, bringing in the rotten fish. Those, I think, are the house elves. But it was a really silly thing, and I would have rather learnt more about. something like centaurs fair enough i think this is one of those red herring situations where you think that harry is going to learn something significant here that will later on save him in a very dire situation but not really so it's just like a fun detour not fun detour <laughs> and we only get to meet one new character here morning myrtle she becomes a big deal later on but we could have literally met her in the next chapter also and would yeah. have been the same thing yeah, i agree yeah. even with the innings in the death day party being so absurd i really thought that these chapters that we chose to read were really funny mm-hmm. like dark things keep happening throughout the, these chapters but the way it's explained and the things that the three of them think about all of them have a tinge of humor i wouldn't really call it dark humor because it's funny at unexpected places for example when harry ron and hermione are caught at the wrong place at the wrong time near the petrified cat harry is like much as he detested filch harry couldn't help feeling a bit sorry for him though not nearly as sorry as he felt for himself harry at that point doesn't even know if the cat died or not for all he knows 
it died and there's a mysterious message on the wall and things are looking really really bad and harry himself thinks that there is like very few things that can save him from getting expelled at that point but things like these descriptions like when we laugh yeah i also really enjoyed harry's detention mm. <laughs> even though harry himself thinks that's the worst thing that anyone could have ever assigned him yeah. to do because lockout's always passing of little phrases i think in the book it's like phrases that occur over a period of time but in the movie they just took these two phrases and he says them one after the other there is no context it doesn't make sense at all but he just like talks like that <laughs> fame is a fickle friend harry celebrity is as celebrity does remember that and i also think that harry's conversation with hagrid like the latter part of the conversation is also really funny his teeth get stuck because of the dobby trickle that hagrid gives him and when hagrid makes fun of him he's not able to open his mouth fast enough to give him a retort that was really funny <laughs> in a throwback to our previous episode everyone still makes fun of harry and ginny as time goes on Ginny's using every excuse she can to like try to meet Harry. She's like lurking around the pumpkin patch thinking that Harry might come. I don't think she's Hagrid. I don't think she's using every excuse she can. She's actually being really really subtle about it. I mean, is it really subtle if everyone notices that you're being subtle? No, I think her own brothers will notice it. They see that she's very different. Hagrid notices. Hagrid notices because but I think she could be a little more open and come talk to him directly, but she is unable to do it especially in front of ron i guess so she's trying to use these really subtle ways to find out what he's up to and all that i also kind of feel bad for her yes she has a crush and yes he's actually accessible there in the same house yeah but he's also the best friend of her brother <laughs> and an annoying brother at that <laughs> he won't hesitate to say buzz off yeah so he's not going to be the kind of brother who helps you Apart from Ginny, Hagrid also teases Harry about Colin and the signed photographs. <laughs> I found it really funny that Lockhart is going around gossiping about Harry. He's like, "Did you hear? Harry wanted to give out signed photographs." <laughs> I thankfully saved him. Yeah. Lockhart's conversation with Hagrid before that, where he's trying to teach Hagrid how to get kelpies out of a well. Mm-hmm. So basically, <laughs> J.K. Rowling is using. every myth ever in the book <laughs> even in throwaway lines she doesn't want to use normal things so according to wikipedia kelpie or water kelpie is a scotch name given to the shape shifting water spirit inhabiting the lochs and pools of scotland so they can take shapes of various things like they can take a shape of a horse or naked women as as seen on the wikipedia page so i don't know what kind of kelpie that Hagrid is trying to save but lockhart is clearly giving information to hagrid that hagrid already knows and uh, he has the nerve to tell him it's a simple matter if you know what you're doing i find that kind of attitude real and really annoying <laughs> like wh- where do you get the confidence to be so condescending yeah i completely agree i do not understand how lockhart can bluff so well all the time how can he possibly know everything he's there advising professor sprout he's there telling hagrid how to get kelpie so whatever and it's like all of these people much like people in real life like us for instance they don't know how to react sort of stunned by this kind of condescension that they're literally never responding to anything hagrid chooses to like deflect him by just saying oh i'm never read any of your books and he wasn't interested in anything but the only person who actually like puts an end to it is professor snape lockhart's like oh you know i can brew that potion up 
in a jiffy, and Snape's like, Excuse me, said Snape icily, but I believe I am the potions master at this school. Yeah. And there's nothing you can say beyond that. That's the kind of insults I want to learn how to give. <laughs> True, because I think other teachers are too nice and they don't want to uh, extend the conversation. They just want to get rid of him. I think Snape wants to be the condescending person around and he doesn't want another person taking away that. I don't know. Snape is condescending but it's not because he doesn't know anything. Yeah. Lockhart, I'm fairly certain, is just empty bluster. And I think that might annoy Snape a little bit more than anything else. Because I think if you know something and you're condescending, Snape might let you go a little bit. I don't know. I think I'd be annoyed by both. I get it, you know it, but still, you don't have to bug off. <laughs> Speaking of Snape, I think he's also really funny in this uh, chapter because he comes right at the end and <laughs> he's trying to use every excuse he can to, you know, turn the situation around to his own advantage. I personally feel he should be taken off the Gryffindor Quidditch team until he is ready to be honest. <laughs> he's trying different techniques to make sure that Harry gets caught now. It's like he spent his summer holidays coming up with things that he can do, strategies that he can use. But honestly, he doesn't even have to do anything because this year is going remarkably well for Snape if his mission is to get rid of Harry. I mean, first Harry comes in a flying car. If Snape had played his cards right and Dumbledore hadn't intervened, Harry would have been expelled and it would have been Christmas for Snape. <laughs> Except that doesn't happen and Snape is probably biding his time thinking, okay, he's gonna like screw up sometime or the other and he does. And it's like a circumstance like none other, like... Yeah. And he still doesn't get his way. He's also moved down his target. He's like, okay, maybe getting him expelled is like a far step. Let's get him off the Quidditch team first. Yeah. And I like that he tries to be fair in the beginning. He's like... Potter and his friends may have simply been in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's like trying to cool down Dumbledore a little bit, not trying to show his real intent right away. Mm -hmm. He's like trying to use a logical way to get there. But the jump from wrong place at the wrong time to let's get him off the Quidditch team <laughs> is really absurd. And yeah, McGonagall like dismantles it with like one quick statement. This cat wasn't hit over the head with a broomstick. But I found it really funny that even though this incredibly serious thing is happening, this is all he can think about. Yeah. <laughs> Snape's attitude towards the writing on the wall, it's like a way to throw off people. It's, it's a way to frame him for what's going on. He did all of this just to get Harry kicked over a team or something. In addition to Snape, I think Malfoy is also kind of set up as the perpetrator because the minute all students arrive and everyone's like really stunned, they're looking at the wall, there's a message there that says, The Chamber of Secrets has been opened. Enemies of the air, beware. And there is a cat hanging stiff and it could be dead for all you know. And Malfoy reacts immediately and he says, Your next mudbloods. Like how... That kind of presence of mind usually points to the person who did it. Yeah, or a person who knows something about it. Yes. And I think one more person is also framed, Filch. Mm -hmm. Because we know that Filch is really mad at Harry because he uh, read about his quick spell courses. Filch is also aware that Harry knows that he's a squib now. But he doesn't know that Harry doesn't care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> When he comes to the scene of crime, the first person he blames is also Harry. Mm -hmm. It's like he's also trying to frame Harry by sacrificing his own cat. But we don't know yet. I think any of them could be suspects. Yeah, it's true. I mean, she even goes to the extent of framing Harry himself. Because in these chapters, a suspicious set of things do happen to Harry. He hears a voice that no one else seems to be able to hear. 
I think mm. any sane person would walk away from the mm. voice or maybe go and find someone who can help hurry runs towards the voice <laughs> like savior complex on full display <laughs> well i don't think it's really savior complex it's just like different people react differently to strange noises or to danger i've noticed this before like when we used to live together when strange noises came you were like let's close every door and go hide and i'll be like let's find out what, what the strange noises so we can sleep in peace but we have never slept in peace after finding out what the strange noises <laughs> it was a rat yes <laughs> it was a big rat that's what's driving harry to i think he wants to find out what it is and momentarily he forgets what can be the effect of it maybe the thing can kill harry maybe the thing can kill ron and hermione just because they are with harry but he is not thinking about all that is really excited to know that the voice is actually moving up could be like a phantom it's not a living thing or it's not something that obeys laws of physics and he gets really excited actually and i really like that when he first hears the voice in lockhart's room in the book lockhart is like oh i'm not hearing any noises oh look at the time <laughs> and they're done but in the movie the actor who plays lockhart what's his name kenneth bruno he does a really good job when someone next to you hears some noises and you don't even though you know that there's nothing going on you are slightly scared that reaction comes out in his performance he's like he's looking up and he's trying to see if something's wrong and then he's like okay go sleep <laughs> <laughs> i think ron is also a really good friend because when harry confides in him about this mysterious voice that he couldn't hear not for once is he insinuate that it's all in harry's head that maybe harry's going crazy or harry's making it up his only chain of thought is you know even if it was someone invisible they would have still had to walk in through the door he's not trying to make harry feel bad about it there could also be the author explaining it to us possible but i just think if i were in harry's situation and heard a voice that you cannot hear right now i would think i'd be going crazy yeah i think what would have happened is momentarily you would have been like i'm going crazy mm. but you or anybody after that they'll be like i must have imagined it like, yeah that's also a scary thing right that your imagination is powerful enough for it to momentarily cross over into your reality yeah there are a lot of unexplained things around us sometimes we are convinced that we saw something or heard something and then we are like okay it must have been i must have been sleepy or it's my imagination and everything i think it's like defense mechanism of the brain it doesn't want you to go too much into that thing that can really scare you and affect you <laughs> so it tries to immediately shut off and be like i imagined it <laughs> yeah and give you like some vague notion like it must have been the wind yeah <laughs> Before we move on to the next part of the episode, it's time for our favorite segment, Harry Potter Stories. This time we have a story from a listener, Pavitra Mutharagan. Uh, so the, the real story about how I got into Harry Potter is probably super dull and not one that I remember clearly about just seeing it at the library and going, what is this book about magic? I shall read it because I was reading pretty much everything in the library in that section. from like uh goosebumps to the babysitter's club to whatever but uh the more interesting story is how i have this fake memory which i'm pretty sure is, is a fake memory because i've never been in a fancy dentist's office with twins who are both reading the harry potter books and then you know 
this just simply did not happen it was like in my mind it's this really fancy not even medical looking office it looked more like a library with dark wood and you know they were identical twin girls who were just sort of pitching harry potter to me i have not met these girls i have not had such a conversation and probably just dreamt it because i was just uh so my brain was sad that heck i didn't have a cool story to like go with my harry potter reading and now you know my story i think pavitra's story about the false memories is a very real thing and we try to fill up information gap from our past using random imaginary stories that make us look good in most cases or what do you mean imaginary gaps even the memories that we do remember our brains always trying to distort them into like making us look good in them right like mm-hmm. no one ever likes remembering a part where they looked bad so the brains always trying to add in additional details and color some things over so that you come out looking a little bit better like there might be at some point where you know like someone said something really mean to you or something and you like cry and you feel embarrassed about it but then it like justify that by being like oh that day was like this or this person said it because of this and you were actually in the right I don't know sometimes I actually think it makes it worse than it is purely because that's the emotion you want to feel for example we severely overestimate our importance in other people's lives sometimes and think that oh this happened to me and the whole school would have seen it and I was so embarrassed and except it might not have been a big deal at all I think it just tries to fit the memories into your own character if you're the kind of person who's slightly narcissistic that's what it will fit into and if you're a positive person who thinks that everybody likes you that's what your memory will fit into <laughs> that's true i think here pavi's memory is trying desperately to be in devil wears prada yeah the twins reading harry potter reminds me of that yeah i mean they're reading it on a train but close enough <laughs> distortion of memory is a very interesting concept and i really like the book uh, sense of learning because of it i like books that deal with this spoiler alert <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I know what you mean. I think some of my favorite books are about how we filter reality in using our brain. Like the many fascinating ways in which we understand things. Thank you for sharing the story with us, Pavitra. Yeah. If you would like to share your Harry Potter story with us, record yourself saying the story on your phone and send it to us at mimblewimblepodcast at gmail.com. Now back to the episode. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, Chamber of Secrets. We know that even the date of Hogwarts' founding isn't concretely known. Vince just thinks that, hey, it might have happened like a thousand years ago, that four wizards came together and decided to build this school, but we're not sure. And we're not even sure what really happened. In fact, legend says that Slytherin mistrusted muggles, which is why... He didn't mistrust muggles in the legend. He, he wanted to make sure that Hogwarts is only a place for people worthy of it. People with Magic. magical blood. Unless I see like an actual diary by Slytherin with like the words, I do not want impure people who are not magic or magical descent in there. I could attribute anything to what Slytherin says. Right? That's, that's how time works. You take a story and you add on little bits and pieces until it resembles nothing else. that actually happened so for all we know yes slytherin might have been like a complete bigot who's like you know only people who are descended from wizards are considered worthy and they should come to the school but there is another theory that i like purely because it's an alternative theory to this that slytherin might have mistrusted 
people who do not descend from other magical people because of this whole thing in the muggle world about which body he might have been like the magical community is already really small that if the muggles were to come to know about the existence of witches and wizards and it is a huge possibility if they started allowing in muggle bonds right that he wanted to keep muggle bonds out so that he could pr- protect this small community and that's the reason he actually had a huge chamber built in the school that was hidden because it's like a panic room of sorts so that they could use it whenever they might need to evacuate also the monster could be like a panic room defense for all we know mm-hmm. right like he's keeping it around to be like a firewall or like a lock except it's a monster <laughs> obviously there are like giant holes in this theory if such a chamber was supposed to be for the good of wizarding society why is only his heir allowed to open it any wizard or which would be able to open the chamber yeah but then how does that theory explain what's going on right now in the school like it doesn't it's just an alternative theory that i thought was pretty fascinating yeah it could be possible mm-hmm. for all we know at that point sudhran probably wanted to protect muggle bonds from the rest of the school that could be a possibility too <laughs> and just because he left and uh, the complete control was with the other three founders godric gryffindor helga hufflepuff and rowena ravenclaw maybe they morphed the story into something yeah they could have morphed the narrative as well but yeah let's take it at face value at face value it's a really interesting story like yes. four people got together to found a school but they wanted to keep it away from the prying eyes of the muggles and they built it like at nowhere the place is it's like tale as old as time they don't even know current magical people don't even know when it started it has so much history and even though ben says that a lot of very talented teachers have searched the whole school find a chamber like this but they, but they didn't i feel that when a building this old in the magical world would have a lot more than just a chamber of secrets it probably has like more dangerous stuff hidden at places that students and teachers commonly go to yeah we've already spoken about this before that the school itself i think over time because of all the magic that's happening there and where it is built and stuff like that might have acquired its own yeah. kind of magic where the staircases mm. moving and i don't know walls pretending to be doors mm. yeah. stuff like that because of that the school could be hiding so many things and just because talented which is in which is a look for it and not found it doesn't necessarily mean it's not there and i think one of the things ben says is that just because a wizard doesn't use dark magic doesn't mean he can't but i don't know if he was trying to insinuate that the teachers who looked for the chamber did use dark magic to try and find it i think the circumstances leading up to ben's telling this story is amazing <laughs> as soon as the chamber is opened the whole school is really curious to find out what the chamber of secrets is so all the copies of hogwarts history from the library has been taken and hermione is like why did i have to leave my book at home she really fo- wants to find an information and she doesn't even share what she is up to to harry and ron so ron is just like i think she's just trying to read the whole library by christmas <laughs> but eventually when she does share she she says that the whole school is talking about it which makes me wonder why harry and ron are not that curious about it yeah i know they're just like oh chamber of secrets is open don't care yeah <laughs> i mean they don't make any effort to try and find out what it is i guess harry is just happy that he's not expelled but still when the whole school is abuzz with that activity and the energy i think you'd be a little more interested than that <laughs> 
I like that she is so resourceful. She, when she is going after some information, she wants to find it no matter what. Nothing is going to stop her. Even a ghost teacher to whom students have never asked questions ever. <laughs> I really like the descriptions that follow Hermione asking the question. Everybody in the classroom who are usually in a state of stupor because Vince drones on and on about really boring history stuff react very differently and very funnily to her asking a question about the Chamber of Secrets. Dean Thomas, who had been sitting with his mouth hanging open, gazing out of the window, jerked out of his trance. Lavender Brown's head came up off her arms and Neville Longbottom's elbow slipped off his desk. I like this because in this book itself, I think we get little, tiny little insights into what other characters are doing when Harry, Ron and Hermione are off doing their heroic stuff. And those things are really cute and funny. For example, Ginny, she gets a cold. I think Percy force feeds her pepper up potion. She actually doesn't get a cold. She looks peaky and Percy thinks she's falling sick. So he force feeds her a pepper up potion. The unfortunate side effect of a pepper up potion is that steam gushes out of your ears at random intervals for a couple of days after, (laughs) which is a very hilarious and vivid image. I didn't actually associate it with movie 3 until recently when we watched movie 3 together when Alfonso Cuaron is doing the setup and he's showing us that you know even though this is a magical school teenage boys will be teenage boys so they're having like this whole sleepover thing where they're all daring each other to eat these sweets and different things are happening I think Ron trumpets like an elephant and Harry eats something which makes him react like a pepper potion Mm. it's pretty nice to see that even though it is not technically in the book that Alfonso Cuaron is adapting, he's read the series and I guess he saw something that he thought would look lovely on screen, so he picked it up. I'm not really sure if that's where it came from, but it would be really insane if that were, that's where it came from. I will find Alfonso Cuaron and ask him. <laughs> in another bit where we take a little peek into the side characters, Fred and George are feeding firecrackers to, to a salamander yes. and seeing how it would react. <laughs> I guess that would border on animal cruelty, but it is really funny. <laughs> and also, this hilarious thing where Ron explains away why Ginny is twitchy. Yeah. <laughs> After the cat is petrified, he's like, she's a great cat lover. <laughs> I think I admire Ron for making a very accurate judgment call, which is not heeded. But he says that... Trust me, said Ron, we don't want to be found here. But then they do get caught there. Everybody assumes that the cat is dead and Dumbledore is trying to examine the cat and he finds out that the cat is petrified. And that's the first time I learned the word petrify. (laughs) Me too, I think. I don't think I was familiar with the word before that. Between two or three chapters, mandrakes are introduced and then mandrakes are now useful to cure petrification. (laughs) (laughs) Chekhov's gut has to go off in the next act itself. (laughs) It's been only two months since the term started and now Dumbledore has to save Harry again from a situation. It's like Dumbledore's full-time job right now is to follow Harry and like he cannot stop him from doing stupid things. At least be there to save his neck. (laughs) It's true. But poor Harry, like really bad things keep happening to him and it's not like he can even help it Mm -hmm. in most cases. Mm -hmm. And I like that the whole mood is really dark. Not just the characters and what's happening. The weather itself is really gloomy. And it's raining all the time. We did not even get to read about Halloween. Since the trio skip it, we only hear about the Death Day party, which is again really gloomy. I think it's a complete contrast to book one. 
especially the end at which point harry was like really in the groove right like he's he has friends he defeated voldemort and he finally found a place that feels like home they won the house cup and everything's going really well for harry but he comes back here and everything is going so badly nothing is what it was he's in trouble he has detention ron's wand is broken he can't even lockhart is there lockhart is there he can't even attend halloween there is a disembodied voice that he hears yeah and ron points out that it's bad even in the wizarding world which i think should have come from hermione honestly yeah. because hermione would know that it's bad in the muggle world ron yeah, is very remote from the muggle world to know that information that's true in these chapters hermione takes a back seat in most things actually it's only right at the end when she asks the question to bins that's that's her only role right at the beginning of where we start reading she gets attacked she gets called a mudblood and right at the end she does something to bring out the story yeah information gatherer yeah but yeah i think that's her role she is like constantly in the background trying to gather more information about all this that's true i like where it's going i i'm really excited about the next act it's not my most favorite book but the next part are very exciting that brings us to the end of today's episode in the next episode we will be talking about the events leading up to ron finding out about harry's superpower that's a little bit of chapter 9 the writing on the wall chapter 10 rogue bludger and chapter 11 the dueling club if you'd like to discuss this episode drop us a comment on our website mumblewumble.in or you can follow us on social media as well yeah you can connect with us on twitter i am at underscore empress and aishriya said Valley But, under chin. Oh, I'm sorry. I just can't say it. Valley under chin. Yes. Okay. Cool. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. I smell.